verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Last week, I tried to speak to you on the subject of zeal uh, for the king and for his kingdom. And I mentioned during that that Christianity is, is several things. As we talk about Christianity, it's, it's, it's number one, it is an intellectual exercise, right? The, the, the logos of God would be the name for, for Jesus Christ. Isaiah 118, Lord, the, Lord, the Lord God would say to Israel, come, let us reason together. Let us think about these things. So Christianity is an intellectual exercise. It deals with your mind. But I tried to make the point that it's also an emotional exercise, right? There's emotions that are expressed and felt. Um, Jesus said that God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit, in a vital way, and in truth. And many of you shook your head and nodded that you had felt before, whether it be in the song service or a prayer service or a preaching service, um, or in some, some other type of uh, scenario that you'd felt the emotion that comes with Christianity, right? With following Jesus Christ. And I didn't mention this last week, I don't believe, but it's also, Christianity takes action. It's something that we do. I've mentioned that here before many times, right? It's something that we, we do. When, when Paul, when, excuse me, when Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 10, he talked about how Jesus had been anointed with the Holy Ghost and that he went about doing good. He went about performing things uh, that were good, executing good in this life. Uh, James told those that he was writing to that, that we should not just be hearers of the word, we should be doers of the word, um, that we should be performing the things that we learn about um, to do good. You know, the Bible says in, in Romans chapter 3, and it's quoting from other parts of Scripture, that there is, if there's anyone good, it says there is none good, no, not one. Y'all remember that, right? Y'all, everybody understands that. And by our very nature, it's true that we're not good. Um, without the help of God, that we, can, we can't do anything good, right? Um, you think about loving your spouse, loving your wife, respecting your husband, being obedient to your parents. It's going to be real hard to do any of those good things if the Spirit of God's not residing in you. And so by nature, there's none good. But there, I've got a, a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 11, I believe it is, um, where it talks about Barnabas, and it says this, for he was a good man. <laughs> now that's Scripture showing you that there are good people. Now, was Barnabas a good man by his actions? Well, yes, but first of all, Barnabas had to be made good, right? By his nature, he was not good. By his nature, he didn't seek God. He didn't understand the things of God. Um, but it says that he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And it says that much people was added unto the Lord when it's describing Barnabas in Acts chapter 11. And so what we see his, here is that through the Spirit of God, through the new birth, Barnabas had been made good. And the good work that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross had been applied to Barnabas, but he wasn't quenching the Spirit. You know, it's a very short verse in 1, Corinthians chapter, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe it is, where Paul tells the, the Thessalonican church, quench not 
the Spirit. Do you know that you can take the Spirit of God, you can act in such a way that you quench that Spirit where you don't feel it like you once did? Well, here's a man, Barnabas, who did not do that. And it says he was full of the Holy Ghost and he was made good by God and he's doing good for God. Well, in Acts chapter 9, I'm going to turn over there for just a moment. Probably all familiar with this passage of Scripture, it begins by saying, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus of the synagogues, that if they found any of this way, that whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. You remember last week we talked about Paul who was, who was kind of listing out uh, the, the, the fleshly accomplishments uh, that he had in the book of Philippians. And he said, he said he persecuted the church with zeal, right? He was pursuing them. Now he's gone to get letters of authority that he can go and find those and bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, verse 3, he came near Damascus where he was headed and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? In verse 5, Acts 9, verse 5, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee, what thou must do. Do you see after Paul, this is when Paul was made good on the road to Damascus, right? When he, was, when he was with zeal going out to persecute the church, he was not a good man. He was a wicked man who did not know God. But Jesus Christ, just like he did in, in every one of your lives today, if you love Jesus Christ, he interceded on your behalf. He met you when you weren't looking for him. Can we all say that's true in our life? Were you looking for Jesus when he found you? Paul was looking to persecute those who, who loved the Lord. But he's made good. He's born again. He's going to go be baptized. But the first thing he says is, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Um, Albert Barnes is a, is a man that I read his commentary from time to time. I believe he was a Presbyterian preacher. And he said, the first act of the Christian is to surrender his own will to that of God and to resolve to do what he requires. And, you know, that's a constant battle in the life of a Christian is to not do what we want to do, but to resolve to do what Christ would have us to do, right? It's a constant battle. It's following Jesus. It's discipleship. It's a work. And so the Lord tells him, that he's to get up and go into the city and that it'll be told what he must do. If you go on to read, Ananias is sent to, to minister to Saul, to preach to Saul, and he, he says, Brother Saul, in verse 17. And, and Saul, is, his sight is brought back, he's baptized, he's strengthened, and he goes out to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, it says in verse 22 that he confounded the Jews that dwelt at Damascus because he was no longer on their side and he was proving that Christ really was who Christ said he really was. So he was made good. He was sent to Ananias to learn what he should do. And now, back to Romans chapter 12, 
he is writing a letter to a group of people who he addresses as saints in the first chapter, people who have been made good by the grace of God, and he's going to begin to tell them what they should do to do good. Here's, here's in, in, in my Bible, it's got headings at the top of, of each chapter, and it says sundry practical duties are recommended. Here are, here are some of the things that you can do to, to be a good man. Don't y'all want to be, would you like it said of you, just like it was said of, the, of, of Barnabas when you die, this was a good man? <laughs> I would. Um, because if our Lord Jesus Christ went about doing good all his life, that's what we should be doing, right? That's discipleship. And so Paul has spent a lot of time in the book of Romans. You know, we looked a few weeks ago about the gospel in Romans chapter 1, the definition that he gives there. Um, we, we looked at Romans chapter 10 a few weeks ago. Uh, at Romans chapter 8, we all love that chapter. The golden chain of salvation is contained in that. And, and he's talked about election and predestination and Chapter 11 is very weighty things are discussed, but then he gets to chapter 12 and he kind of transitions and begins to tell the, the church at Rome, here's how God would have you to live. Here's what God would have you to do. And he begins by saying, I beseech you, therefore, I'm, I'm asking you. I'm, that, that word can literally mean to, 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 to ask, to pray, to beg. He's saying, I'm beseeching you to do something. I want you to notice here that the Apostle Paul, now listen, if anybody had the authority to ever say, I'm telling you this is what you need to do, <laughs> it would be the Apostle Paul, wouldn't it? I may not have that, that, that type of um, authority. You probably don't. But Paul had the type of authority. He lived his life in such a way for the cause of Christ that if he, he could have said, I'm telling you this is what you want to do. But notice how he starts. He says, I beseech you. He's, he's begging them. He's imploring them. Humbly asking them. How many of y'all like to be t honestly? And I, know, I know you won't raise your hand. I ask a lot of questions. But how many of you like to be told what to do by other people? Nobody likes it, do you? Even if you know it's right, you don't like to be told what to do. And... Here Paul is, he's tell, Paul's telling them what to do. Y'all see that, right? But he's doing it in, in a humble way that, that you'd really have to be out of your mind to be mad at him for the way he's doing this. He's coming to them in humility and asking them, I'm begging you. And, and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That's brethren in Christ, those who are connected through their belief in Christ, trying to follow Christ. And what that word really means is, is family. Um, I, I wish I could get across to you that, that the church, really and truly, the church is supposed to be a family, right? This is not a place that we come on Sundays to sing, and, and just to sing, or just to preach, or just to hear prayers, or just to have a meal. Uh, this is, this is, every Sunday should really be a family reunion. <laughs> um, I don't know that I'm recommending this, but I'm reminded of a story I heard many years ago where a lady, her church was having a three-day meeting. You know, one of those is all day Friday, all day Saturday, and then Sunday. And she couldn't, her boss wasn't going to let her off work. 
she knew that if she said, I want to go to church, he was going to say, no, you need to be here on Friday. So she told her, I'm not saying I recommend this, okay? <laughs> she told her boss, she said, hey, my family's having a reunion and they're reading our father's will. <laughs> and that's what was going on at that meeting, right? Their family was having a reunion and he was more likely to let her off for that. When we gather here today, we're family. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is saying here? He's saying his love for his fellow believers is just like, Family. Last week I tried to mention from Matthew 6 where they were talking about the Gentiles were seeking after these things. And Jesus tells his followers, you know your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask him. He says, your heavenly father. We are connected because God is our spiritual father, right? Our father. We may have different earthly fathers. We all do. Many of us. I guess Bo and Evie Grace could... They have the same uh, earthly father. Other than them, nobody else has their same father, right? We're, we're, we're different in that, diverse. But we're united because they have the same heavenly father. He's watching out for them and loving them and caring for them. And, and if I, believe, I believe the churches, our churches would be a lot stronger if we thought about people as our family. All right, y'all don't have to answer this one either. Y'all got any weird family members? <laughs> Like natural, some of y'all raising your hand, watch out. <laughs> but you still go see them from time to time, right? You still check on them from time to time, right? You still love them because you're connected because you're family, right? That's what the church is. The church is a family. You ought to be real with your family. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, we talked about this. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel so they might be saved. He's, he's being honest with his family. See, the church isn't a place that you should come in and put on a mask and act like you're something you're not. That's, that's just debilitating, isn't it? To come in and, and, and act like you have it together and, and, and act like maybe you're something that you aren't. Uh, the, the, the church is a place, it's a family where you can, you can be real, right? And he's saying, he's, he is sharing his heart's desire with his family. That's showing what kind of relationship he had with these churches. You know, in Romans chapter 7, he, he talks about he, the things he wants to do, he can't do, and he ends up by saying, oh, wretched man that I am. You see, he's being real. He's saying, I'm struggling with this. I need help with that. Um, you know, many people talk about having an accountability partner. You ever heard somebody that has somebody that they can go to to hold them accountable, to, to, to talk about things? That's, now you don't, the whole church is not going to be your accountability partner. But it's good to have someone spiritual in your life that you can go to and say, I'm struggling with this. That was, it was this week. I, had a, um, I guess I had a, a bad day, and, and, and I had things that I needed to think through and things that I needed to do, and I called one of my brothers who I respect in the church um, and we talked and I felt better and I could be honest like I I just told him look I'm in a bad mood I'm gonna tell you what happened. <laughs> I need to get in a better mood right and before I got off the phone with my brother right I felt better that's what the church family's about you know Paul asks in in Chapter 15, he says, now in verse 30, now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. 
We need to see. We just we went through prayer requests a moment ago, and we had some that we brought before. We had others that were that were that were that were mentioned. We should really be praying for each other, right? Um, we should really be thinking about. That's not just a time that that we just mention these people one time. Write it down. Think about it. Pray for one another. We need to be praying for one another, right? And Paul's saying, I want my family to be praying for me. He was real with his church family. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Now, he's going to ask them to do something, right? And look, look what he first says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the compassion, the, the mercy, the pity of God, Paul's going to, before Paul is going to tell them what they are to do, here he's going to show them, here's your motivation to do what you're supposed to do. Your, your motivation to, to follow God, to do these things that he's going to call them to do, isn't so that, that others will see you doing this, or isn't so uh, that, that you may make a name for yourself. What he's going to tell them to do, to present their bodies and, and not to be conformed to the world. He says, the, the motivation for you to do that is the mercies of God, the compassion of God, the covenant faithfulness of God, the grace of God. Have, have any of you ever experienced the, the fact when you look into and you can see with a spiritual eye the grace that the Lord Jesus Christ has shown unto you, it makes you want to be a better person, doesn't it? It makes you want to love your church more. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm, I'm begging you, my family, by the mercies of God, the grace and the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, here's he's telling them what to do. You need to give or offer yourself, your bodies, a living sacrifice. To, to, to present yourself is to... It's to give it over, to offer, to be present, right? Paul would say in, um, in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, he says, But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. That you're to yield yourself over, present yourself unto God. Now he's saying here that you are to present, now listen to what he says, your bodies, <laughs> That is, that is yourself. See, this is what Paul's telling them to do here is not something that they could outsource to someone else. Do you see that? Um, it's, it's much easier in many ways you know, to make a donation or to give some money to a cause. That's not a bad thing. We, sh we should probably be doing that, right, to different things. But it's a lot easier in many ways to cut a check or to make a donation online than it is to actually present yourself present in someone's life. It's something you can't outsource. So he says, present your bodies now a living sacrifice. Remember, Christianity is not just intellectual, it's also emotional. We talked about that, right? Here he says, you're to present your bodies a living, that is an active, vigorous, or enthusiastic sacrifice. So it's, um, it is, when we, talk, we preached last week about zeal. That is a, it is a biblical mandate from the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul that when you 
begin discipleship, when you begin to follow Jesus, that you should do that in an enthusiastic manner, right? That it would be, you would be a living sacrifice. See, and, and that you would have some zeal for it. <laughs> that it wouldn't be something that you, you know, we can all get into checking off the boxes, right? We can say, well, here's a Christian discipline. I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to read. I, I need to check on this person or whatever. And make it a, uh, just a habit. And, and you should make it a habit. And you should be disciplined to do that. And sometimes I, sometimes I don't feel like reading my Bible. But you should still read your Bible anyways, right? We should do those things. But he says, that's not the, really the attitude in which you should present yourself. You should be enthusiastic about it. And if you're focused on the mercy and the covenant faithfulness of God, it's more than likely that you are going to be enthused about it, right? He's saying you present your body not a dead sacrifice like the, the bulls or the goats or the lambs of the Old Testament, but here is something. Uh, no longer do we have to sacrifice animals. All those things that were, you know, the first sacrifice that was ever made in the garden after Adam and Eve have, have defied the law of God. They're naked, they're ashamed, and God slays an animal to make them coats of skins. It's not like that anymore. We don't have to do that. Our sins have been covered. Our shame has been covered. Uh, we, we're free, right? We're covered in the blood of Christ. But now we can live as living sacrifices unto God. As, as, as active, uh, enthusiastic, zealous sacrifices. That, that word sacrifice is something that is consecrated to God. Something that's, See, to consecrate something is to take something that, that you might just be a common use for and make that something that is a sacred use for that thing, right? A holy use for that thing. And it's to offer something to God, to present it as, as worship. And so he's saying you should en enthusiastically <laughs> um, no one should have to really he's begging them to do this, but he's saying if you really see the mercies of God, no one should, should have to beg you to do this. You should, you should present yourself, your life to God and, and what, what maybe, maybe your life, yourself, your body was once used for, for just common things. You've been, you've been saved by the grace of God and now use your body for sacred use, right? In the work of Jesus Christ. And, and, offer, and, and offer yourself unto him. Present yourself to him to worship him and be devoted to him um, yeah I, I, when I was studying this this week I thought of our former pastor brother Sam Bryant and, and I can hear him preaching preaching it today I don't remember if, I don't think it was from this this verse of scripture but you hear a lot about Jesus or God being offered to mankind in in religion right and I can remember Brother Sam saying, you can't go around accepting things that weren't offered to you. <laughs> See, Jesus was never offered to you. You're supposed to offer yourself unto him. The book of Hebrews says that, that Christ offered himself unto God. Right? And now we're to follow in his footsteps, offer ourselves unto God. Offer our services unto the king. And you know, that's going to take... If you're going to do that, that's going to take sacrifice, right? He says a living sacrifice. And, and now, 
this is kind of a play on words, but generally when you have a sacrifice, something dies, something ends, right? And so although we're alive and we're supposed to be active, there's, there's, if we're going to follow God and do what he's called us to do and live how he's called us to live, there are going to be things in your life that have to die, right? You're going to have to sacrifice. See, Christianity is, is in following Jesus Christ is, is the greatest blessing that, that I believe I've ever had. It's changed my life. But, you know, there's things that you have to give up, and there's things that you gain when you do it, too, right? Like, if we're going to, what does it mean to sacrifice, right, to, to offer ourselves unto God? Your time. You know, your time, and time's a valuable asset, isn't it? Um, it's amazing. You know, all the, uh, we got Sister Isla, we got Brother Thompson here today young children and I'm sure that people have told y'all enjoy it because it flies by right <laughs> and people have told me that too and you know what I've come to find out they were right <laughs> what do they say they say the days are long but the years are short I look out and my daughter's almost as tall as my wife <laughs> and I think what happened to my little girl I got on Facebook the other day and it said, you have been invited. You have been invited to the 20-year Chelsea High School reunion. And honest to goodness, my first thought was, why did they think I graduated with them? <laughs> I didn't get, I clicked on it, and it was people I graduated high school with. Carrie can tell you, I had a little pity party right there on the couch. <laughs> I thought, there's no way that can be real. Some of you are thinking, I would, go, I would give anything for my 20th reunion, <laughs> having my 50th reunion. And you probably feel the same way I do, right? Time, time's precious. But if you're really going to follow Jesus, you've got a sacrifice of your time. That's something you're going to have to give up. How about your desires and your dreams? Has anybody ever had a, an, probably an earthly desire or some type of dream? <laughs> Brother Tim McCool is, um, uh, I've, I've heard him often mention about his father, Harold, who passed away a few years ago. Brother Harold, if you knew him, he was a great guy. And, and Brother Tim has called him the dream killer. <laughs> Any of y'all had dream killers in your life? <laughs> You'd come, I've had, uh, I guess my dad's been pretty good at that at times too, and, and I've probably been pretty good at that with uh, every grace and bow so far. But you come to him, you say, I've got this idea, and I'm going to do this, and it's going to be big, and we're... And then the dream killer would start, well, did you think about this? <laughs> I'm going to start this business, and I'm going to do this. Did you think about taxes? And I didn't think about taxes. <laughs> did you think about the resources you'd need? And you just crush dream after dream after dream. Well, in some ways, when the gospel comes into your life, when the grace of God touches you, you begin to follow Jesus, it can be a dream killer. Maybe the, the desires that you had for yourself, you know, I know, I know men that have been called to preach that had, they could have been giants in the business world or, or political world or, or whatever, and they weren't. They, they, their desires went away, and they began to follow the Lord and preach his gospel. It doesn't just have to be a preacher. 
look, if I wanted to be successful in the business world, I don't know if I could be, but, but I know I could do some things that would help me get there, right? There are things that you could do, but my Lord wouldn't be pleased with it. So you have to sacrifice those things. Money. Nobody likes to tell you what to do with your money. And, and, but you're going to have to sacrifice money um, for the cause of Christ. Careers. People's careers have been impacted for the cause of Christ. If, if, you, you know, if you've got a career that is keeping you from following Jesus in a, in a, in a living, active, sacrificial way, then you probably need to find a new career, right? Go read about John Newton. He's a slave trader. And the grace of God hits him, and he gives all that up to follow. And we sing about it every, almost every week, right? Amazing grace. He's the man that wrote that song. He gave up his desires, uh, his form of wealth, to follow Jesus Christ. You're going to have to do that. Your comfort, your reputation. Uh, you can go read in Hebrews chapter 11, I believe it is, about... Moses. Moses could have stayed in the home of Pharaoh and had the best that the land of Egypt ever had to offer. He could have had fame. He could have had money. He could have had comforts. But he chose the repro reproach of Christ <laughs> is, what, is what Paul said. The reproach of Christ. He saw that that was greater than the riches that could have been given him in Egypt. And I'll say this. Whatever it is that you have to sacrifice to fully follow Jesus to the best of your ability will be worth it. Do y'all believe that today? It'll be worth it. It will be worth whatever you have to give. He says present yourself a, a living, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. That is sacred. Holy. Acceptable. Well-pleasing unto God acceptable unto God and and what we can learn from that is we you know we don't present our bodies we don't present ourselves we don't give our lives that's really what it means we don't give our lives uh, as a living sacrifice unto God in ways that we think we would deem fit right um, if we're going to come before God and worship God we want to do it in such a way that God would be pleased in that, right? We can see that in the church, right? The, the, the simple form in which God has established that he is to be worshipped in his church. We could, you know, many of us could think, well, what if we did this or I would do it this way? The bottom line is it doesn't matter what you think about worshipping God or how you think you should um, you should follow God or what you think you should do for God. Paul says, I'm begging you, if you're going to give yourself to God, do it in a way that's acceptable or well-pleasing unto him. See, we can come up with ideas. We think, well, God would love this if I did this. But he may not, right? If it doesn't accord with his word, with his, his, his revealed will, which he's going to say that you do these things so that you can know the perfect will of God, then you shouldn't do it. He says, the holy and acceptable, which, now let's get back to the intellect for a minute. Remember, it's intellectual, deals with the mind. Following God is, is spiritual or emotional. It deals with, with your enthusiasm, with your zeal, with your vitality. We're living sacrifices. 
And so you may be thinking, so I'm supposed to sacrifice my time. I'm supposed to give my money. I'm supposed to, you know, I, I may not have the career I wanted or the, or the lifestyle I wanted. I'm supposed to give all that up for Jesus? <laughs> he says, let's reason for a minute. That is your reasonable or logical service. <laughs> Worship of that service, if you like a Strong's Concordance, you look it up, it says worship of God. And, and so if you can look into what, who you are and what God has done for you through his mercies, through his covenant faithfulness, through his sacrifice, then the only thing that you can conclude when you begin to reason about what he's asked of you is that it's just logical that we would do that, right? <laughs> You think, why does, why does God want me to gather with his people week in and week out to sing and to pray and to hear the word of God? Why? Well, that's the, that's, he does want you to do that. The, the pattern has been established in, in his word and throughout history that the church of God is to gather together to sing praises and to, and to pray uh, to him and to hear the word of God. And, and then you think about all that he's done for you. That's pretty logical, isn't it? <laughs> He says, love your uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself for it. You think, man, that's hard. You know, wives, reverence your husbands. Man, that's hard. Children, obey your parents. Man, that's hard. But God's saying to do it. And for all that God has done for you, whatever he calls on you to do, just reasonable, isn't it? It's just logical. It's your reasonable service. Presenting yourself to God, concentrating yourself, offering yourself unto him, learning about him, reading about him, praying unto him, devoting yourself to his church, to his kingdom, to others. It's just reasonable. Anything that you could do. You know, there's a, um, I can't remember exactly where it is in the scripture right now, but they said we're just unworthy servants, right? Anything that we could do for the cause of Christ is reasonable. Now, let's go to verse 2, and we try to close here. As we're trying to be holy and acceptable unto God, living sacrifices, you know, the, the, the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament, he would say, go out, and, and they had to be without spot. They had to be without blemish. They couldn't have defects, right? Now, we can't be perfect, obviously. But Paul's going to say here, that as you are to present yourself a living sacrifice in the service of God, you don't need to be spotted by the things of the world, defected by the things of the world. And that is a constant battle. All of us are battling being conformed to the image of this world. He says, and be not conformed. As we are the sacrifices to God, God doesn't want sacrifices that are conformed to the image of this world. Be not conformed to this world but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, do not be conformed. That's, to conform something is to, is to make it to resemble something else, right? To make something in the likeness or the image of something else. And, and the world, that is the things outside of the cause of Christ, when we're all, we, we have to live in that, right? We can't escape that. We see it. The, the Bible talks about that. 
Jesus, we talked about last week, said, seek ye first the kingdom of God as a priority. But he knew there were going to be other things in your life that you deal with, that you see, that influence you. And so Paul is saying here, do not let those things, the world, the things outside of, of the cause of Christ, the, the message of Christ, the church of Christ, the people of Christ, don't let those things conform you to their image. And from the time you're a child to the time you die, isn't the world trying to conform you to its image? And it's always been that way. And so a lot of people talk about social media and how bad that is on people's mental health. Well, it's always been that way, but now Satan has more tools that he can utilize to try to conform you to his image, conform you to the image of this world. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 says, for all, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. John sums up what the world is like. The three things that the world has to offer unto you. The lust of the flesh. See, the flesh is that, remember there is none that seeks after God. There's, none that, there's no, no man that's good. That's our flesh. That's our nature. It's, it's prone to sin. It's, a, it's opposed to God. Um, and we carry it around with us everywhere we go, don't we? Um, and it can strike just like you can try to beat it back and it, it'll never go away, does it? The flesh is persistent. The flesh perseveres. Uh, and you've got a daily... Y'all ever, ever do things, think things, say things, and you think, man, where did that come from? Why did, I, why did I do that? Because just like the Apostle Paul, you're struggling. Remember he told his family, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I say I shouldn't do, I find myself doing those things. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He, thought, he thinks Jesus Christ who delivered him. He says, don't be conformed to the image of this world, the lust of the flesh. So when you have... You know, and, 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 and the world's going to place in front of you. It knows you have these appetites for excessive things, right? If you've got, you got some good food in front of you, it's hard to quit eating when you should stop eating, isn't it? Do you all feel that? You've got to battle that. There's people, I mean, we could get into more serious things, drugs and alcohol. And the world's going to just throw that in front of you and say, have your feel of it, right? You've got to battle that. The lust of the eyes. <laughs> you know that your eyes will get you in trouble. What you gaze upon. What happened to David? It was the time when the king should be out in battle, but he wasn't there. And his eyes saw something he shouldn't have seen. And much misery followed his life. Because he was looking at something that he shouldn't be looking at. And materialism, I'm telling you, we live in such a prosperous place that we just want more and more and more and more and more, don't we? We got to have the latest phone, the latest gadget. We just, we got to, and, and look, if you can afford those things, you, you need to do, you, you can do those things. There's nothing wrong with having things. We talked about that. But the world will, will, the world, the world will make those things have you, right? <laughs> this covetousness, wanting things that you can't have, jealousy. 
We've all had to fight that, right? Jealousy of people having things that you don't have. <laughs> and you think, that's what I want? That's the world. And it's trying to conform you, the pride of life. That goes back to those ambitions and those desires. And making a name for yourself or a career for yourself. Look, the Lord has blessed many people to have great names and, and, to, and, to, and to elevate themselves into great careers. Not that he can't do that, but that's not the desire of the child of God, right? See, the world, somebody that's just of the world, and they could be a child of God. You know, many people will, will, will preach or teach in such a way that, that children of God are those that aren't conformed to the world, right? That only the people that are really children of God are those that aren't conformed to the world. Those that are really making it right. Those that are living uh, holy, acceptable lives. They're doing everything right. See, that's not true. <laughs> Paul wouldn't be telling the saints of God, don't be conformed to the world if they couldn't be conformed to it, right? God's got a lot of people that are in a mess. I would venture to say that, that more of God's children are in a big mess in this life than have it together. Would y'all? <laughs> I hope so because most of the time I feel like I'm one of those that's in a mess. <laughs> God didn't come for the perfect person. God didn't come. God, Jesus himself said those that are whole, they don't need a physician. Those that are self-righteous and think they have it together, they, say no, they see no need for Christ. But it's people like me and you that see who we are and see how we feel. We're the ones that, I need him. I need him. I need him. I try and I fail. And I try again and I fail. <laughs> And if I was to look back on my efforts, I'd say there's no way. <laughs> there's no way. But when I look at Christ, I feel peace. Do y'all feel that? So he's warning these children of God, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed into another image. The image of Christ, the image of God. When God created man at the beginning of time, he, he created man in his image. Man was upright. Man was holy. Man was pure. But through the disobedience of Adam, the, the image of God was, was stained with sin, right? The image that they carried as image bearers of God. If you go to Genesis chapter 4, it says that, that um, Adam and Eve had another child named Seth. And that child was born in the image of Adam, not the image of God. And so, yeah, it's true, we still carry around a marred image of our creator, right? We have faculties we can, we can think, we have free will we can choose. We're different than the animal world, right? In our, in our, we do a, uh, on Sunday afternoons, generally, we've started doing, um, I guess we're about 12 weeks into it, uh, you know, we, our children, we homeschool our children, and so, the, we, we're doing like a Bible curriculum that I'm teaching them on Sunday, so y'all pray for Bo and Every Grace, they hear me preach here, <laughs> and then I get to go home and preach to them, <laughs> And uh, we've been talking a lot about creation and evolution. And, um, and there's an image that you've, you may have seen this. It's, probably, it's, it's from a textbook. And it shows, you know, it shows this gorilla. 
And he's walking, it's, it's showing evolution. <laughs> and this gorilla, and he's walking on all fours, and then over the course of a million years, he's walking on two legs. <laughs> and then another million years, he kind of looks like a caveman. All the way up to the final picture, he's in a three-piece suit, walking with a suitcase. <laughs> That's, we laugh about that. That's kind of foolishness. I told Bo, he should, for Halloween, he should start out as a gorilla and end as a man in a three-piece suit. Because <laughs> that's childish to think about that. That's dumb, <laughs> okay? We, we, we didn't come from, from some primordial soup or some gorilla. We came from the purpose of God, right? And through our forefather Adam, that, that image We've been marred. But praise be the God, he rescued us from the image of Adam, right? And he's conforming us to the image of his son. <laughs> and he says, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed. Be conformed to the image of something else. How are you going to do that? Remember, Christianity is both emotional, it, it, it entails action, but it also deals with your intellect, right? Right? He says, by the renewing of your mind. That word renewing, it means to renovate something. Um, to, and I wrote down the definition to renovation. It's, it's making new after decay, after destruction, or after deprivation. You see the HGTV shows where they go in and they renovate a house. It's falling apart. And they leave it a lot better than they found it. That's what Paul's calling on these Roman Christians to do. He says, your mind has been marred by the sin of Adam and by the nature that you've possessed. The world is out there floating ideas into your head that you should act like this or you should be like this. He says, you need to, to, to take all those things that we've taken in. And how many of us could, could really honestly say that we are influenced by the world, right? We have thoughts that the world has placed within our heads. You know what Paul's saying to do? You need to go into your mind and, and, and maybe you've got the, the, the kitchen cabinets are thinking, it's all about me. Because that's the world's thought, right? He says, tear them down. Throw them in the dumpster and get rid of them. Put some new cabinets up. Just like they do on the TV shows, right? Renovate that mind. Take out the old nasty thoughts, the thoughts that the world has influenced you with, and renew your mind. Renovate your mind. See, we can do that every day, can't we? The, the, we, we have the thoughts from the nature, and I believe the devil, uh, you know, he sends thoughts our way. I don't know how he does it. We're influenced by his, by, you know, by. Satan and his demons and demonic activity in the world. I mean, these things are real. So what, what, what Paul is saying here is you need to take all those and get them out. So think about one of those shows. If they came to my house, and so our house was built in 1980, and we believe we've got about the same kitchen that they had in 1980, and it's functional. It's, it works. The water runs. But, you know, if we're being honest, we'd like to have an updated kitchen. <laughs> now, if somebody came to us and said, I'm going to renovate your house, and you're going to need to move away for a month, and then they had the big reveal, <laughs> we've renovated your house. And we came back, and all they had done is tore out the flooring and the cabinets and left bare walls. <laughs> I I'd rather have my old kitchen, right? 
So when he's saying renew your mind, you've got to take out the old and replace it with the new, right? Don't be focused on the things of the world, but spend time in the Word of God, around His people. Replace those things with the things of God. Be, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The revealed, not some secret will, the revealed will of God. What he would have for your life. And notice, what God would have for your life is good. What God would have for your life is acceptable in his sight. What God would have for you is perfect. The world is going to say, what we have to offer, oh, it's good. It's great. This is where real living is. But the truth of the matter is, the will that God has for you is what's good and acceptable and perfect. So let's try to follow after that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, uh, for all those that are gathered here today, those that couldn't be with us. We pray that you bless them. God, I pray that you'd open doors of, of, in Birmingham, Alabama for me, for everyone else in this church to speak about truth that we love, the finished work of Jesus Christ that's brought us so much peace in our life and that we could, we could speak that to others who may come in amongst us and, and rejoice in that. And I pray, God, that you would help us, that we need your help not to be conformed to the image of this world, not to desire the things that the world desires, but that we might be transformed back into your image back into the image of your son, and, and that we may, we may play an active part in that by renewing our minds, by thinking, by, by getting rid of the things that we shouldn't think about and thinking on the things that are pure, that are just, that are lovely, on what you've done for us, how we could help others. Help us to do that, God. We need your help in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll sing a hymn at this time and give an opportunity if you'd like to unite with this church. Uh, you can come forward and let that desire be known. Brother Joshua, do you have a hymn we can sing? Number 563.